I, I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, staring at a wall, not seeing the wall, looking past the wall, looking at this night inhumanly patient, waiting for some secret, silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Hello, everyone. My name is Dominic. My name is Jonathan. And welcome back to another episode of The End Credits, the podcast where the two of us discuss our thoughts on a film of our choosing. And today, we're talking about the grandfather of the slasher film, the best of the best, the (laughs) film that got me into films, the best Halloween movie in the (laughs) franchise, the first and original John Carpenter's Halloween. So Halloween was directed by John Carpenter with a release date of October 25th, 1978. At a running time of one hour and 42 minutes in the genre as a slasher. It stars Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, and Nancy Loomis. The summary for this film, as given by Google, on a cold Halloween night in 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers brutally murdered his 17-year-old sister Judith. He was sentenced and locked away for 15 years. But on October 30th, 1978, while being transferred from a court date, 21-year-old Michael Myers steals a car and escapes Smith's Grove. He returns to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois, where he is looking for his next victims. You just described the best movie <laughs> of all time. This is your movie right here. This is my movie. I just got, I got chills just you reading that description. (laughs) Uh, Man, yeah, so much to talk about with this movie. So much um, history with this one. And I'm really happy that we're finishing off our horror October month um, with Halloween. So, yeah, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> like you know where I stand on this. I mean, if if, if anyone any for anyone who knows me, they know that I'm a huge fan of this film. Right. So you, you uh like this film as if it's like the best film of all time. That's because it is. <laughs> but uh yeah, I'm actually surprised when I watched uh the film uh recently. So uh being like a horror film like it since it's a horror film, I'm not again going back to like what we previously stated before. Like I'm not the biggest horror fan at all, at all, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I was surprised to actually learn something about Halloween this time around while watching it because we've watched this film every Halloween for <laughs> years and years. This is the one we never miss because of you. It's tradition. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was uh, surprised to learn that there's more to it than just being. Uh, just this uh, killing machine, you know, running rampage through this uh, small town in Illinois. Yeah, I thought I thought it was actually really cool when we did watch it that you were picking up on things that you could actually appreciate. Because for the longest time, I always felt like you didn't. Yeah, so, I didn't. That's and truth. so it was just really neat to see that you were actually picking up on things and you were like, oh, I actually really like this. Um so that that was really that was a treat to see uh, the fact that you were actually uh, saying something good about the film this time <laughs> around. But 
Yeah, I mean, gosh. Like I said, this is probably the film that got me into films. And I remember always watching Halloween during the AMC's Fear Fest, Mm -hmm. where they just had a bunch of horror films playing for, for the entire month of October. And the Halloween films were always on. Right. And I never missed it. I like, I loved it. Like basically ever since we were little, more so me than you, but man, I like always watched it, always caught it on TV, never missed it, or at least tried never to miss it. And right. I was like, usually they had this, they played this one, four, five, H2O, but like never they any, played six as well. They played six too. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. But like never two, three or like anything past that yeah no halloween 2 and halloween 3 literally never well i actually see three get played a little bit more often oh really which is crazy i always remember um h2o playing if any if anyone was h2o right at least and the first one obviously right no yeah for whatever reason they only played a select few and sometimes they just wouldn't play some other ones when they really should have Mm -hmm. and it was really strange but even I think before that, before I even knew about the AMC Sphere Fest, um, back at our old house, you know how like we we had um, basically a section of a closet reserved for our movies that we owned, right? Our DVDs that we owned, right? And back at the old house, it was in this like um, the that section of the closet, and we had our section, and then we had our parents' section, yeah, like and. I remember, you know, how ours was just made up of a bunch of like, you know, Disney films and animated stuff right, and right. whatnot. Yeah, and anchor. it wasn't like film. We, you know, we didn't analyze things back then, right? Yeah, uh, or and we didn't critique. But I remember, like one time, uh, I looked through our parents' films and what they had, and I remember seeing the spine for Halloween. And I remember like one time I'm just like, I, it must, it must've been around Halloween time or maybe I was just curious because of its, of its title. I remember like pulling it out and like seeing the cover and, and our version of the DVD has this, uh, image of Michael, Michael Myers mm-hmm. and like this, this nice, really nice sketch of him. And I was always creeped out by it. I was going to say, I was like, I, I was, uh, pretty scared of it, uh, when we were younger too. Yeah. Like it's just this black cover. And then it just has the sketch of him. And it was always like, it always freaked me out. And I was just like, what is this? And I remember, I don't know if I ever actually watched that DVD like right after that or just put it away. But at some point in time, I do remember like watching the film and I couldn't even get past the the opening credits <laughs> because I was so, I was so afraid of this. It's theme. The theme freaked me out uh, when I was uh, younger and I couldn't even get past the opening credits because the opening theme was just so scary. Yeah, uh, I don't think I had a, like a, a remembrance of the theme per se. I remember the cover definitely that freaked me out uh, when we were younger. Uh, I don't actually remember watching the film. I guess if anything, really, our DVD copy. I remember watching it on AMC. Fear Fest, but like I don't remember actually watching our DVD copy and like actually sitting around and uh, just watching it. Right. Well, you know, at some point I I did. I I ended up coming around to liking the film 
and mm-hmm. having like this huge passion for it, which I don't know where, I honestly don't know where it came from. It's crazy to me to think that at one point I was so, I couldn't even start the film because I was so scared of its theme. And now years later, like I watch it every Halloween. Right. So it, it's definitely like one of our oldest Halloween films, you know, like we've, or like, I shouldn't say Halloween film. I just say like a horror in that horror genre. Okay. And yeah. cause I remember this one, the shining right and uh, stuff like that in our closet section that we had over at our old house yeah and so this one just like shining holds like this special place for us uh you know as we were younger right man uh so so many i don't know like so many things about the film that i just love it's simple yet it's unique and everything just from like even like with its opening credits, like even just something as simple as that pumpkin and that opening credits shot with the orange text. Mm-hmm. Um, I always loved just like watching the opening credits and the pumpkin just coming in on us and everything and seeing the opening titles and the theme. Like, it, like I know I said before I used to be scared of it, mm-hmm. but like at, at one point, man, you're just like, I love it. It just like brings all the hype in this. And uh, you're just like, oh man, I want to keep watching. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a truly iconic theme that you know you hear and oh you know it's from uh, right. Halloween. You know Michael Myers is coming, uh, stuff like that. And the night he came home, right? The night he came home. Uh, so you definitely can't uh, miss that that part. I like how you said it's uh, it's a very simple film mm-hmm. starting out, and uh, that's something that I really like about this film, where it's basically. It has a direction and it sticks to it and it does it well and it doesn't like add anything to like uh, distract it from its goal. And again, with uh, being uh, a budget film back then, right? It's like they got a lot of mileage out of out of it. Yeah, like yeah, totally. Like out of the series, and I think we could tell because they got like what twelve plus films yeah, afterwards, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, they really, yeah, they stick with this idea and they keep with it. And that idea being, you know, Michael killing his sister one night back in 1963. And then he returns, uh, in 1978 to kill again. Yeah. Kill again. And it's just, and it just, and it it essentially just like keeps up with all of that. And it's, it's simple and it doesn't, it doesn't really do a ton like what you would see for modern horror films nowadays. And I like that. And I really wish, um, the modern slasher or modern horror films would, uh, take some lessons from John Carpenter and and Deborah Hill. Got to give her credit. Right. Go back to its roots somehow. Right. Oh man. I know. So it's interesting because like the, the idea of Halloween just, started from that simple idea of just being called the babysitter murders. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially all it was. Michael Myers, uh, uh, or not necessarily Michael Myers, but a, but a, um, a serial killer just killing uh, babysitters. And that was a whole like plot. And, and then it eventually ended up becoming Halloween. And it stemmed from all from that simple idea. And it blew up into this whole franchise. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so at the beginning of the film, we have that we start in nineteen and we start in nineteen sixty three, and we see a young Michael, and 
he's essentially just or we're seeing it from his perspective and it's a one is probably the only time when we're actually in michael's perspective right. for the entire film right. and he's um you know watching his sister uh in a very like you know creepy creepy way and you can already tell by the way he just walks around the house and he's peering into the window and his sister's with her boyfriend and i mean looks like uh you know until the end of the scene we find out that like you know michael's in his in his costume but it looks like he was you know he was ready to go trick-or-treating just wants to go trick-or-treating but his sister's too busy with uh her boyfriend and um you know makes his way into the house and whatnot and ends up uh murdering his sister I actually found what I thought was interesting in this scene was the fact that it might seem weird thinking now nowadays, but like uh, the fact that I believe he started outside. Am I correct? Like he starts outside watch watching from outside the window. But I'd always thought, why would this kid just be outside in the middle of the night? I guess maybe he went outside because, like you said, he wanted to go trick or treating. Probably but like the, the fact that he was we start outside. Uh, it shows that like we didn't know it was a child to begin with until like the very end. Oh yeah. Oh, it's just someone, you know, it's creepily looking in and going to do something. Right. That's the shocker of it. Right. And, uh, I, that's why I was like, why, why do we start outside? You know? And, uh, it makes more sense uh, as you go further along Mm -hmm. that it added to that effect. And, uh, it was a good, good, uh, setup scene, you know, like with this, uh, uh, camera falling around, you know, just, swift movements inside yeah the camera work is definitely something that can't go unnoticed right um yeah totally like really smooth camera work and uh really nice cuts in the scene too like it's almost hard to tell where the cuts lie in the in the entire scene uh which is really nice and yeah essentially just like going around the house and everything and going through and then up the stairs and uh, eventually the murder but the camera work is so it's it's excellent mm-hmm. i agree especially like i always thought it was a little strange a little funny that at the end of the scene you know they zoom out oh like yeah the longest time i think the zoom out's fine but maybe because they just stood there the parents for, just yeah, stood there and froze for quite a while it's like uh please move or something like that you know yeah uh, it's supposed to add to this drama obviously right but like just looking at it as a viewer's perspective it's a, I always thought it was a little silly, you know? Right. No, I, I, I totally get you. Um, it's always kind of weird because they're just like, oh, Michael? And they just stare and then that's it. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, okay. Like, what did you do? Where, you know, where'd you get this knife? You right. know, no questions. It's man, just, that knife is huge, too. I know, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, oh, man, it's huge. Like, who has those types of knives in their house? I mean, well, you know, maybe like a professional cook or you know someone who really likes cooking okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah well michael obviously did not use it for that reason (laughs) um but then we move into the next scene right Mm -hmm. and um uh yeah even this was a really great setup scene when we move into smith's grove uh i love i love that this scene with both uh the nurse and dr loomis love that scene where they're just talking to each other and then going to uh their the getting to the uh to the um to Smith's Grove. Right. And um, you know, they're talking they're kind of talking through about like what they're gonna be doing with Michael because they're gonna be transferring him to uh, a court date mm-hmm. and just talking about, you know, 
and what they're going to give him and how they're going to do it and whatnot. And it's very subtle. Not a lot's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then it gets a little, um, it, it gets a little suspicious and weird when they notice that uh, the patients are outside and they're gathering around the uh, the asylum. Here's another thing that I always thought was very weird in that scene where they show the patients outside. It's raining, wet and cold, and the patients are just outside. It's like, oh man, getting drenched. Yeah, and it's it's like it's pitch black at night too. Right. Yeah. So like, they're not, why, they're not why, gonna care. Why are they out there? <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't think they'd care. I think. Oh. They, yeah, I totally get what you're saying, but like you know, we we gotta just like let it happen for the film. I know. <laughs> um, and you know, and then Michael ends up stealing the car and whatnot. And really cool, like this is where we introduce some really neat uh, sound effects. Oh yeah, when he jumps out. Yeah, like time. when he jumps out and um, above the car. I like still to this day, I do not know what those sound effects are. Right. I, uh, I try to think with you and like. Uh what it could be but yeah i couldn't i couldn't actually pinpoint what it could be i'm just like i don't i don't i don't know what the sounds are i'm assuming it's some kind of like synthesizer maybe it's some kind of a mixture of sounds but i really don't know but whatever it is it's it's effective and it's cool mm-hmm. um and you know he he ends up stealing the car and whatnot and we get that i think this is the first time when we besides the opening credits where we get that first playthrough of uh the halloween theme i've always thought that uh he killed the nurse inside the car oh during that scene yeah yeah just because of the the whole glass shattering Shattering. yeah okay like i always thought that she got harmed or something like that but she actually like just uh escaped from her vehicle right she got away yeah she got away right and then you know and then to their surprise michael was driving and he he escaped smith's grove Mm mm-hmm and uh, then we return to Haddonfield, and but it's now you know it's now seventy eight. Well, it already was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and we are introduced to our protagonist, mm-hmm. Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously. Right. And you know, it's it's very normal. And that's what I, that's what I really like about this. Um, for Halloween, the pacing. I think for nowadays, people are going to consider it slow. It's to- It's definitely it, slow. I I consider it slow. Yeah, like don't don't get me wrong. It is a slow film, but I personally enjoy um, when a film takes its time to tell the story. Mm-hmm. I I think that just nowadays it's not as it's not as normal for a horror film, especially to take its time. Probably like a slasher film to take its time, where it right. just kill after kill after kill after kill. And yeah, exactly. And I like how, you know, we're introduced to Laurie Strode and then, you know, we're just following like the story and just something as simple as like the father coming out and telling her, you know, to stop by the Myers house to leave the key because someone wants to see it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she walks off and whatnot. And like, and you even mentioned too, like as, you know, she's walking down and going to the house, we're soon introduced to Tommy Doyle. Right. Uh, I really liked how this, he he was introduced in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a clear, like, line movement. So you could see this uh, clearly when he was coming in, this, like, symmetry that he just comes down the sidewalk. And it's very, uh, I guess, linear. pleasing. Yeah, linear and very pleasing to the eye that he just comes down in this uh, straight shot. 
That's a nice a nice way to introduce this character. Yeah, and then we like get a little bit more of their relationship and whatnot, and we we find out that uh you know she's gonna be babysitting him uh later in the night in the night because yeah. it it's 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 Halloween right when we're yeah because he, he escapes on the thirtieth and it's Halloween right it's Halloween day. so uh, yeah then they're just talking through what they're gonna do for uh, like tonight mm-hmm. and everything and then they end up stopping at Michael's uh, at the Myers house and. Uh, and Tommy notices that and she tells her like, you know, not to go up there or whatnot, which I always thought was like, uh, like funny because, you know, she ends up just going straight up there and saying, you know, <laughs> I have to like, what's wrong with it? Right. And I love, I know that the other films reference Michael as the boogeyman in other films, but I really love how this one, he's really known as just the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Michael Myers is known as the boogeyman. In this and like in this entire phone, because that's how Tommy refers to him as. And I love when he says, just like, you know, you can't go up there. The book that's the boogeyman's house. You don't go up there. And she does. And then and oh man, we get like probably our first like we get our first jump scare. And Michael like appears, or presumably what is right, who like who is Michael? Always sees like a shoulder shot, I believe. Yeah. Uh I think we we heard this when we watched because we watched the commentary version before right and obviously the film many times but i believe they brought it up in the commentary where basically it's this house was like the idea that every small town place has like a it's like old a, rundown yeah, house old rundown house that's like presumably haunted or some scary thing that you know, people go to and like, oh, make up some uh, stories. Right. It's like an attraction. Almost. Right. Right. And like, oh, you don't you don't go there or else, you know, some monster's going to get you. Yeah. And that place is like the perfect, uh, perfect movie version of that and that people can actually like relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, even more like about the house, like what's what's interesting is that we are like, you know, we're originally introduced to the house in 63 as it being like this really nice looking house. And then in 78, it's all run down. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. Like, cause it even mentioned in the audio commentary, how at the time when they were shooting, the house was run down and they actually fixed it up Which just for crazy. that scene. That's yeah. Crazy. Just for the opening scene. And cause it looks, it looks pristine new, I think in right. the opening scene. Yeah. So they did a really good job at, uh, rebuilding it and then they had to tear it down uh, like afterwards yeah Yeah, that's some uh, good set design yeah um but yeah then like we get like our first few glimpses of michael very very early on in the film and uh and it's a lot of like you know over the shoulder shots and it's just kind of like freaky especially like after she leaves the myers house and she's walking down the sidewalk he comes out and we just see this over the shoulder shot I'm pretty sure we're going to say this over and over again, but the, I guess, beauty of this film is that they really live by the motto of, like, less is more. Oh, yeah. And, like, they never show him, basically, throughout this movie, like, maybe minuscule uh, times, but um, that less is more is, like, oh, this unknown entity that we really don't, never really going to know much about in this film. Uh, that's the scare factor uh, for the entire uh, story. Yeah, exactly. Like he just, he's essentially just roaming around and no one ever notices him. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the beauty of it in a weird twisted way. And 
Yeah, I think right after we get into, I think we're back at Loomis. Yeah, we get some like backstory with like he's uh, talking to the authorities, like you know, prepare or uh, watch out or you know, where can he be? He's trying to track him down. Uh, right, and we get this shot of like uh, they're following them down this uh, walkway. Right, and. Even that is a very you don't notice it when you're watching it. Yeah, totally. But even then, that that that's a full long no cuts, uh, and it's just amazing that the actors had to you know go through that and not mess up uh, just to do the entire scene because most uh, films nowadays would have just had a cut somewhere, right? And there's few little cuts in those motion scenes. It's so smooth, mm-hmm. and like uh, for a, for a while, I almost didn't even notice those shots because, like you said, you don't pick up on those uh, things as you're like first watching it, or maybe you're uh, even after several viewings because it does feel so natural and the movement's so right. And you know, then he just gets in his car and drives off, mm-hmm. and we, and then that's where we find out where. Uh, you know, Michael actually supposedly can't drive. He never learned how to, but he was doing very well the night before. Right. Uh, because he escaped. Doing better than most first drivers. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was able to make it a Haddonfield somehow. And let's see, afterwards, I think we are introduced to the girls, correct? Is it the girls? I thought we were at the... Um the school I thought is it that scene yet where they're uh where they um where Lori looks out the window I thought that was the next scene oh right yeah no it is that is yeah so we see oh like that's such an iconic scene right right that's an iconic scene as I was watching it through uh with you uh for the podcast I've always wanted like this scene to happen to me. <laughs> like I know, I know it sounds weird. <laughs> oh I, no. Like I know it sounds weird. Like I don't want Michael Myers scared, like following me or anything like that. But like always wanted to just be able to look out the window, like while you're in school and all of a sudden you see like Michael Myers just like staring at you. Like, Oh man, that is so scary. And in this scene with, uh, uh, Lori and she's just in class and she looks out the window and she just sees Michael there. And just how creepy is that? Oh yeah, my God. Uh, can't say that i wanted to have that happen to me <laughs> but uh yeah it's definitely a uh a creepy moment like oh what's going on well here and obviously it's it's an iconic shot uh i think i think most people would have seen this shot or some other combination of shots uh throughout the uh the whole film but this is definitely a standout right here right and she not only looks out the window once she looks out twice mm-hmm. and like he's still there and then it gets interrupted and she gets, uh, she had the teacher calls on her, um, to answer some question. And then when she looks out after answering the question, he's, he's not there anymore. Right. So still, so threatening. Uh, it's very scary. Right. And, he, and like, he hasn't even done a whole lot. Right. Yet. He just stood there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he just stood there and it's just like, it's already creepy. And that like, again, it's just that that's the beauty of this film that less is more. Like it just, it's already creepy. And it's just like, who's this person stalking this teenage girl? Mm-hmm. And then, and then I think we get back to Loomis basically trying to get people to, I think he's calling some people to make sure that uh, Michael's coming mm-hmm. and you better watch out for him. And 
Uh, I, I have to mention this. I always love this this scene because you know we're, it's supposed to take place in Illinois, and it clearly you could clearly tell that we're not in Illinois. It's clear as day because you see some mountains in the background of this scene, and it's hilarious. And I, I point it out every single time because they actually did film they filmed Halloween in Pasadena, California. So uh, it's like <laughs> it's just like you you could tell it's California. Yeah, clear it, as day. It's obvious. And, uh, you know, th- this is actually the, a pretty good scene. Apart from that first kill that we see in the very beginning back in 63, we do see Michael's first kill as uh, Loomis discovers this um, mechanics truck just laying out here in the, mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. And then we get this, like, brief glimpse of a, of a body, like, hidden behind some shrubbery. Mm-hmm. Um. So like that would just like I guess if we want to keep track of kill counts, there's our one for unless you count. Uh, oh yeah, in seventy, right. unless you count the uh, his sister back yeah, in sixty three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe we, at some point around here we have the uh, the Tommy Doyle pumpkin scene. That's another iconic scene. I feel as if you know when he walks out with the uh, pumpkin and these uh, bullies are you know trying to. Uh, bully him and right. eventually you know he drops it and everything and uh that's like always oh man i feel sad for him yeah it's like oh man his pumpkin was ruined and everything like that it's like it's taking a it's taking a loss right here i guess yeah i know like and this is also the moment where they reiterate the fact that there's some boogeyman out there mm-hmm. right yeah um from these uh these bullies and i love how like afterwards like you know when they're when they're done teasing Tommy as they're running off, like they run into Michael, and it's such a it's such a scare because like Michael yeah. just like holds him. And what's crazy is the fact that like he's out here in broad daylight, and he's and he just like stops this kid, and then he just starts following Tommy. Like you hear again, like uh, I'm surprised no adult has actually seen Michael just wandering about. Like it's only right? it usually. Yeah, people under the age of 18 that actually see Michael in some capacity. And it's kind of like crazy. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of, uh, yeah, it's always the younger, like the younger kids who are, you know, who actually notice him or like in a lot of ways, just Tommy, (laughs) right? just Tommy really, as we get further into the film, we have this like, uh, walking scene with Michael as he watches Tommy. It's so good. It's so good. This, like, as he's going through the gate, like the best part about this is the slight little touch that he puts his hand on the gate for just a slight minute. Uh And then he just like walking and he's following Tommy's, uh, pace, like pace. And he's just walking ever so slowly. And then he, and then we cut away and then he gets into his car and then he starts following him in his car I like this scene, but I think I've told you many times that the biggest thing I don't like about this scene is the fact that it cuts to the car. To the car, I think it's just a weird motion because uh, basically, once the cut happens, it stops, and he, we see a another cut to him entering the car, and right. then it goes back to the same uh, painting shot that we see to follow Tommy. Yeah, and it's just so. It breaks the 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 smoothness of it, and that's why I don't like it. And then plus, when he gets real close, how doesn't he feel the car presence? Yeah, exactly. Like if you, you know, you're gonna feel that, no doubt. You're you're totally right. But again, like it's just like 
I don't, I, I'm pretty sure I don't dislike anything about this film. So basically it's <laughs> like, uh, like I, I really love this car scene to, for me, but I do agree with you is that, yeah, Tommy should have totally noticed the fact that some car was like just right there by his side mm-hmm. because it, because Michael wasn't being very stealthy at all. No, not really. He was just out there in the open, which is like, like again, weird and freaky. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the moment where we are introduced to Laurie and her friends. Right, right. And uh, that, that being Linda and Annie. And I always really loved this dynamic. I always loved watching their scenes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of credit goes to Deborah Hill because I know that she was the one who wrote a lot of the uh, dialogue for uh, their scenes. And I think it, it just feels, it feels natural. Yeah, it definitely does feel. Uh, any interaction with them, uh, like like you said, feels uh, very natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, because it's just like, it's just them having a conversation Mm -hmm. and talking about like, you know, what they're going to be doing tonight. Yeah. Like, I I don't know. Like you're just, you're just kind of like watching them. And again, with this scene too, uh, camera work is so well done. Like we're just following them in their story. Right. It's a third person perspective that we're just following them with every turn and every, uh, you know, when they cross the sidewalk and everything like that. And Mm -hmm. It uh, follows them very well for the most part. Right. And it just turns and turns when we need to change perspective. And uh, I guess this is the first glimpse where, you know, Michael actually comes and yeah. uh, they have that like uh, that car scene where he just stops and hears it from like a mile away. It's like, right. What? Again, like it's just Michael is not hiding at right. all. He's just, he's out there in plain sight. He's not even attempting to be sneaky or stealthy at any at any point right now Mm -hmm. which is just very strange like so strange right because usually like uh uh i would say that when it comes to like a slasher film is usually like at the night times we see uh stuff go down and like at the day stuff the killer is usually oh this is off limits i can't be out here at this time right you know? i can't be out here michael's like no nah, i don't care <laughs> yeah he's just out here during the day just stalking these these girls and it's uh-huh. just like oh okay mm-hmm. like uh you know don't don't hide at all or be stealthy about it in any way uh-huh. he's just right there just out there um, right and he doesn't come back until basically a bit later in their trip where uh they reach a bush and uh, oh right, uh, I believe it's Lori and it's uh, Annie. Yeah, Annie going down, and yep. they just see this figure. Oh, I think only Lori sees the figure first. Lori only sees him. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, that, that's actually a good point to bring up the fact that Lori actually does see him throughout the day, and no one else does. And then, uh, but she never sees him. Hardly, uh, like she never sees him at night, right? Until you know, obviously the end. Right, obviously the end. It's only Tommy and Lori that actually see him. I think for the most part, right? And Loomis, of course. But yeah, and Loomis, of course. I but I I do like in this whole this whole um early stock morning like or not early morning but like throughout the day stalking with Michael, um it does establish the fact that Lori is the responsible one. Of the group, mm, um, right. among her friends, and that you know, like saying, telling Annie that like you're gonna you're gonna get us all into deep trouble, 
Um, and then like she sees like she sees Michael at the hedge later, and she tells like Annie that like oh look at that's the guy you yelled at earlier, and uh, you know like oh he doesn't like he's just like you know looking at us, and then even Annie was like said like brought up the fact that like oh subtle isn't he like he's literally not like you know not even being yeah, I know, subtle. Right? I always uh, thought that you know how sometimes he's hiding behind the hedge, mm-hmm. and then he just disappears after the fact. Like, what did he do? Did he just bolt in the other direction? Yeah, he just sprinted because it's a pretty long hit, yeah, like, I was hedge. Say, I was like, I was shocked I didn't see like a glimpse of his pant leg, you know, uh, crossing the street or something like that. Right. Because even Annie ran off to go and like look across the hedge uh-huh. or behind the hedge and, uh, you know, he wasn't there. So I was like, oh man, he must be, you know, Michael's fast training in his marathon. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, but yeah, I didn't. You know, then Annie kind of plays this joke on on Lori that like, oh, like he wants to talk to you and everything, and like Lori's curious, and um, you know, she she goes there, then there's no one there, and Annie's just like, you know, scaring another one away, mm-hmm. and it it does play into this like, you know, Lori's like seeing things, just like what's happening right here, and uh, uh, you know, she's curious, um, yeah, and then she starts to see stuff even right, later, even when later. She- uh, looks out her window when mm-hmm. she gets back home. She sees like out in the clotheslines, Michael is just standing there. Right. And this is a funny scene too, only because of like outside uh, internet videos that make fun of this scene. Yeah, right. Uh, I always laugh at this now, but back then, you know, it's 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 pretty menacing just seeing someone out there. You know, it's like oh. But even with, with this scene, though, I have to say that like it feels a little strange because she's looking at him. Uh, behind the clotheslines for one minute and then like in the next like we cut back to her perspective uh-huh. or not her perspective but her like a third person perspective uh-huh. seeing her reaction and then we cut back to what she was seeing and then he's just gone oh yeah so it's like, where that's, did he go then? that's silly there too like like you said maybe he's just real fast he's just know? real fast in the blinking of yeah, an eye he's yeah. gone <laughs> yeah. uh yeah then you know we we move into uh annie gives her a ride and they're riding across town to go to their respective uh, places to babysit that night. Uh, yeah. But but before that scene, I do want to mention that they stop by and see Annie's dad. Yeah, so I think uh, that's a good interaction right there between Annie and uh, her dad. Uh, also known as Sheriff Brackett. Right, right, right. Um, I, 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 I like the dialogue in this scene only because like, uh, they were forced to like tell more stuff about the scenario and they didn't just like, Oh, ask the question straight up. It's like, we got a little, uh, context on what the relationship was. And, uh, and then we got further into the story. So it was like, a, it's a very clever way of adding character development through what each character says while also progressing the story in an effective right. way. And their, um, their conversation right there is a real, Great. It's a great example of what uh, what films can do right there. And even more so back to the idea that less is more. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, because like we didn't get a whole lot. We know we did get a whole lot with very little. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, then even like Loomis to even introduce himself to Sheriff Brackett and like the story's already progressing forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, e- even like at this point where it feels like we're progressing pretty like quickly through the film. It's weird because I feel like the events of the film that lead up to the major events feel very fast. 
Yeah, it feels slow at the same time in terms of the slasher aspect, like the actual killings, mm -hmm. you know, the actual murders. Actually, like, I think it was pretty slow uh, starting now uh, to like right now to this moment, because I don't think it was until the night scenes where it actually like starts, starts. Right. This whole stuff is just to like uh, get you a sense of what their reality was and again and what the world is yeah it's a normal town and uh, people are just getting comfortable they don't really expect anything bad about to happen and no you know, it's a small town why would they yeah exactly and stuff happens uh what i always thought that was weird about the transition in tonight mm -hmm. was the fact that i thought it was smoother than what it actually was in the movie it was a very interesting like, <laughs> it was a very like i want i guess it's a harsh cut basically i feel like oh it's it's, it's like sunset one moment. And, and then, then night the next. It's like, it's very weird. Like you could tell like they tried to like have it as smooth as possible. Right. But I always felt like it just never, it wasn't enough for me. I was like, oh, whoa. It, it was, it's very jarring. I, I agree. It, it does feel a little bit jarring when we go just like from sunset. And it's very, you can tell that it's kind of like early sunset. Yeah. And then we go like, you know, uh, way into the night, like mm. just pitch black. Right. Um, but I think the one thing that makes up for the scene is that we get introduced to probably the best character <laughs> of the entire Halloween franchise. And you know what I'm going to, you know who I'm going to talk about. I do. Ben Tramer. It, like, I, okay, honestly, like full disclosure, he's actually not a major character at all. Um, but it's it just always a funny thing to bring up. Like, it, um, Ben Tramer being just a um, a guy that Lori's uh, that Lori likes, and she wants to go to the homecoming dance with them, and that's basically all I need to know at this point. <laughs> and and Annie like discovers this, and she's like, "Oh, like you know, I didn't know you thought about things like that, Lori." And you know, it just kind of gets into that that kind of talk. Right. He doesn't actually become relevant until the second movie. Right. But we're not going to spoil it here. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace, Ben Traver. <laughs> oh no, I just like major spoiler. Sorry. Um, but yeah, they, like we do quickly go into that, you know, to the, the night and Lori goes off and, uh, to the Doyle's, uh, house and then Annie going off and with Lindsay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is basically where the 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 story or like the the real true events of the film really like happen. This right. is where the film kind of like almost begins. It, it basically, yes. And oh man, just like really love like this setting, like this really nice like like dark street. The the kids in the neighborhood are like going trick or treating and everything. It's normal. It's just this small town. You know, nothing's gonna happen. Parents are going off and going off to a party. I'm assuming. And then, you know, we just have our babysitter is going to babysit the, the kids for the night. And, you know, but but us as viewers know that that Michael Myers is uh, stalking these two. Mm -hmm. And it's just like we know, but they don't. It's very dark in the scene, like you say. Um, I'm surprised of how dark it is for Halloween, only because, like, I expect uh, a lot of kids to be on, the, like, just a lot of light with, like, either decorations. Mm-hmm. Or uh, just just people putting their lights on for people to go trick or treating. Right. But on the street, it was very dark, and like there was the only real light was from the two houses that they went into, and that's about it. Like, right. Everyone's was like, "Oh, let's go to bed. It's not Halloween." It's, it was very well. They do have their pumpkins. They have like jack o' lanterns yeah. out. Uh, I think this is this is probably only the case of uh, budgetary reasons. 
Right, and because they shot like in the summer, if I'm not right. mistaken, <laughs> in uh, Pasadena, California. <laughs> so it's like you know, it's the summer. You're you're not gonna be able to get people to to convince them to hang up some Halloween decorations right. for the sake of this film, right? Uh, but yeah, it, I think it. Yeah, it's all because due to budgetary reasons. But I mean, I think a jack o' lantern like right. gives it's, a, it's gives still, enough. It still works. It still yeah. works. And. Yeah, then like, you know, Michael's just stalking and it's just, you know, it's freaky. He's hiding behind a tree. And it's crazy because it feels like he's right there out in the open. But yet again, no one sees him. Mm-hmm. No one's like even paying any mind or any attention because, you know, they're in this comfort zone, in this security, and they don't know that this killer is out there. It makes sense, though, because like if it is Halloween, no one's really going to pay attention to anybody dressed up because everybody else is dressed up. Sure. So it's all, it's it's like... The perfect camouflage, and that's right. what makes this even more creepy. Right. That he's able to just, uh, you know, shape shift, like uh, his name implies, as, right. as the shape. But yeah, I like how you bring that up because in the first few films, he's referred to, even in the end credits, he's referred to as uh, just simply the shape, mm-hmm. and and or the boogeyman. But like, you know, he's he's simply referred to as a shape because he's literally just like moving and it's like almost like floating and not even like really there. He's just he's there, but he's not there, you know? Right. And just in there in the shadows and he's literally just a shape. And that's probably the best name that they could give him. Um, And yeah, just like we're just getting really into this night scene and we're like getting comfortable and whatnot. Right. And uh yeah, a lot of the film takes place during the night. Right, it's like it, it pretty much uh, starts to pick up with uh, him watching Annie, and the dog tries to help out. Right, but unfortunately, poor doggo takes takes one for the team. Yeah, uh, sad scene, sad scene. Yeah, I know. I just like it's funny because like when we were uh, watching this, you know, uh, we were thinking back to the alien uh, podcast and like. We didn't really care much about the cat Jones, but for this one, I'm like, this dog, it, it's because it's a dog. I mean, <laughs> this dog, oh man, so sad. Whoa, 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 I cared about Jones and Alien. I cared <laughs> about Jones. Um, no, yeah, so yeah, the dog takes one for the team, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a sad moment. Um, and I was always like curious like on, as to how like they, how like Michael like killed a dog because they show him like yeah, obviously like- correct. They don't actually show him strangle the dog. Mm-hmm. We were like, we don't, we don't see that, but like we see it's it's hind legs just kind of drooping over Michael's, and it's just uh, it's like how you know how do they do that? And it was actually really interesting to learn that it was it was uh, in slow motion and it was in it was shot in reverse, right? And it was just like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. And when you watch it again, you can tell, right? It's uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's well done though. Yeah, uh, well done technique. It it works. And I don't think people would know otherwise what just happened because, like, I definitely did not know until we uh, looked into uh, some of the commentary when we watched the commentary version. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that's a really cool insight to even know uh, that uh, occurred there." Right. Um, and in around like this, this uh, these scenes were introduced to the use of the phone. Like, I feel like the the phone is such an important piece to this entire, like, story. Mm-hmm. And, like, as I mentioned last night, it's essentially, like, you know, it's it's this device that connects the characters together even when they can't, like, really be there with each other. And 
in a lot of ways, it's just like that's their only, even though they're only like across the street, they're so far apart. And the phone is the one thing connecting them. But it's also the the evil too, I suppose. It's it's like the thing that uh, Lori's last conversations to Annie were on the phone. Lori's last conversations to Linda were on the phone. So yeah, that's like, that's true. you know, like that point is just a little bit like the phone was like important. <laughs> and uh, it is... What it just signifies that anyone who's going to use a phone is going to die. <laughs> uh, no, but that that's an interesting thing that uh, that I always kind of liked about the about this film is the fact that since Lori can't be there, like that's the only connection we have, and it's like yeah. that's the only way to get word, you know, yeah, outside, inform- yeah, information out to the other uh, characters, yeah, characters, and it's a well thing that most people probably just don't think of using, right. Yeah, then we kind of get like some more like, uh, you know, scares with the stocking because Annie goes out to the to go and wash her clothes and then she gets stuck. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's uh, uh, kind of getting freaked out or whatever because like she's kind of like locked in like locked inside of this. Uh, I guess outdoor shed of some sort. I don't know. Yeah, like where they have their washer and dryer. Yeah, Weirdly I, enough, I, I guess. suppose uh, this is pretty common in California or maybe in any homes like back in. Maybe. I wonder if, uh, I assume, was, you know, places we don't, I, I don't think I've ever seen one ever. So obviously it's a thing, but I wonder right. uh, how common it is. Right. So like, yeah, she's out there and everything. And, uh, uh, you know, like my, Michael's like right outside too. Yeah. Uh, of course. And that's like pretty creepy because like, Oh no, like she's like locked inside, like better not leave. And, uh, that, that's kind of like a nice scare because she's trying to call Lindsay because the, you know, the girl that she's, uh, babysitting and, but, you know, she's just kind of like lost in watching some horror films on TV and, uh, the phone's ringing because it's, uh, Annie's boyfriend and he's just trying to get out of there and like get some help because right. she's stuck in there. Um, but what's like kind of interesting is that like we're focusing a lot on, on Annie's perspective at this point. And we do move into Lori's a little bit before that and after, uh, basically, you know, she's with Tommy and, uh, she's like reading a story to him, you know? And then like Tommy wants her to read like these, uh, these other like stories to her and, uh, Tommy asks the question, like, you know, who's the boogeyman? And she, he wants to know more about that. And, you know, she, she basically uh, says that, you know, the boogeyman doesn't exist. Like, and it just kind of gets into this like scary part because it's like, well, she saw Michael earlier that day. And I wonder like in that moment of shift, she's like connecting those dots of, and apparently not, I guess, but like, yes, I don't, I don't think she ever really connects it. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't think she, I don't think she ever really connects the the dots with uh, Michael uh, being boogeyman or anything like that. Because uh, I bet she's just like, oh, it's just some weird thing. Forget about it. Yeah, it's not an actual uh, thing to uh, worry about. And obviously, it was a thing to worry about because when we get back to Annie, you know, she's singing her song and uh, tries to go to her boyfriend Paul. Was it? Yeah, and. Uh, you know, she tries to get the keys for her car. It was locked. She goes back into the house and comes back out and um, it just enters the car, but it's unlocked. And she's like, you know, what happened here? And uh, Michael gets his 
second victim no third victim third. become the dog right of 1978 right and uh goodbye any i think it's so like it's so important even like with the shots like we before she opens the door for the or like when she tries to open the door for the first time uh it's clearly locked and we see that shot of uh, her trying to open the door uh like right at the handle mm-hmm. and like so then that way you know the viewers will know you that yeah, it's clearly locked. Just so yeah, she has to go and get the keys. And when she comes back, we get that same shot, but then it just opens, and it's like, oh no! Like it's very quick too. So like only if you really paying attention, you notice the change. Because right. if you weren't, to like it'll go over your head. Yeah, yeah. It'll go over your head until she reacts and is like, oh wait, something is was wrong. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, that was a sad moment that we we lost Annie, but. That happened. <laughs> yeah, it was a good run. <laughs> it was yeah, it was a good run. It was a good run. Um, and then we have her other friend come back, right? So yeah, Linda and her boyfriend Bob, because uh, yeah, they 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 come by to see Annie, and Annie's not there obviously because you know she's dead already. Oh, before we get into that though, we do got to mention that uh, before prior to Linda and Bob coming to the house, um. Tommy gets another glimpse at the boogeyman. I actually think even before that, like we, we even forgot to mention the fact that like he saw him just like, he saw Michael just standing out there like at one point. No, right before the, even the dog kill, I think. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Like he even saw like Michael and he would try to tell Lori that the boogeyman was outside. It was during the conversation where Lori was talking with Annie about the fact that Annie told Ben Tramer about this, about, you know, the, the crush that Lori had on him. Mm-hmm. And that's when, uh, Tommy sees, uh, Michael, uh, again, but then like Tommy, he sees him yet again after Michael has killed Annie. And, oh man, I love the scene. This is probably my favorite scene of the entire film. Like I love, I love a lot of the other, uh, following scenes, but this one in particular is just, has really like just stuck with me for, Probably it's going to stick with me till the end of time. Uh, Lindsay's over at Tommy's house at this point because Annie dropped her off uh, before she was going to go and uh, pick up Paul. And Tommy's like, you know, since Tommy was getting teased about, you know, the boogeyman and everything, uh, Tommy, for whatever reason, seems it uh, fit to give Lindsay a scare. So as the two of them are watching their horror film, uh, he gets up from the couch and then he goes behind the curtains and he's like, you know, uh, trying to lure Lindsay to the curtains. And he's just like, Lindsay. And he's like, just, you know, bringing her over. And uh, he's doing it a few times and she doesn't know where the voice is coming from, which is weird because Tommy's the only one who's in the room like, with her. Uh, how does she not know? He was he just went back there. You know? Right. Was, like, was she that uh, much paying attention to that movie? He's like, wow. Perhaps. But like, and then it was just, it gets really creepy because, uh, Tommy ends up turning around slowly and then like outside and still the music from the, uh, the film that they're watching is still playing while he's seeing this. He sees Michael carrying Annie's dead body into the house. And like all throughout that short little scene, we have the music from the film that they're watching and it's mixed in with the scene that we're watching in Tommy's perspective. And it's just like, it's perfect, but it's so terrifying because mm-hmm. he sees this and he's the only one who sees this and he knows that something is wrong. Ah, oh, man, just just love how they mix 
the the audio from that film with what we're seeing because like they didn't have to do that uh the fact that they did just made it all the more like creepy to me this music that they use is just so like i don't know this like otherworldly tone and i guess that michael myers is this otherworldly presence this otherworldly being Um, yeah i don't think i picked up on that as much as you did i just thought i was like oh it's a great time for uh the the creators just insert some other music from like a previous project or something like that because he he did the thing didn't he right but i don't know if that's what they were watching at that point oh i thought okay maybe maybe, uh maybe i'm wrong then uh because i thought i i guess i didn't pay too much of attention to the music uh as the like background to whatever happened with michael when i viewed it I didn't think as highly of it as you did. And uh, now looking at it, I'm like, okay, it, it probably, it's probably a uh, a neat trick to do. Yeah, exactly. Cause like it could have just been under, underscored with some music that John Carpenter could have wrote, but like, and maybe, maybe it is, but uh-huh. like the, the fact, the fact is, is that, you know, that under the way it was approached with using the uh, music, from the uh, from the film that they were watching, it was just loved it. It was excellent. And yet again, Tommy's the only one who's caught a glimpse of the boogeyman in the in the night. And then uh, a little bit later, Linda and Bob come over to the house after Annie has you know she's dead at this point, and they're searching for Annie. They call up Lori, and um, they you know they ask her where Annie is, and Lori says that you know she hasn't you know like she's kind of. She's a little bit suspicious at the fact that uh, Annie hasn't come back yet to pick up Paul, but she, you know, she just kind of disregards it like as she would, uh, that like, oh, maybe she stopped someplace. And, you know, still to this point, like the characters don't know that something bad has happened and like the viewers know it already. And so, yeah, like, see, like with, with Halloween, it really establishes a lot of the stereotypes that we see with so many slasher films and horror films nowadays. Definitely. Like, it's just like, you know. Uh, it established so much with uh, things like, you know, the uh, um, the teenagers can't have sex. Like, they can't, they can't do this. <laughs> yeah, or else you get killed or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, or else you get killed. You know. Uh, but, like, Michael's, like, watching uh, uh, Linda and Bob, like, as they're making out and everything. It's just kind of, like, again, like, really freaky. And it's just, like, he's just there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, oh, my God. Uh, like, please pay attention. And they're, and they're not... And you know, and then not long after, uh, we Bob get goes downstairs. Yeah, he also takes him for the team, <laughs> if and, you want to call it that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meets his fate. Yeah, man, meets his fate with Michael. Another jump scare where he just comes out of nowhere and grabs a hold of uh, Bob and grabs him up from the, by the throat and basically strangles him. He he does actually get a few knife shots in there too, I believe, and uh, just the one. Yeah, just just uh, just the one, and he uh, again. This is probably another kind of shot you've seen, uh, probably either here or somewhere else before, where yeah. you know he's just up there on the uh, on the kitchen cabinets, and you know he's dead. Yeah, just like hanging right there, like about I don't know, a foot in the air, mm-hmm. perhaps maybe. And then, like, the, I think the creepiest part is the fact that, like, after that kill, the shot right after, like, takes some time where we see Michael, like, almost, like, in, inspecting his kill. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, like, you know, tilting his neck back and forth and just, like, kind of looking and, like, 
almost like admiring it and it's just creepy uh but another like staple of the series of him like craning his neck like that and uh we see it for like you know all the other films or mostly all of the other ones and it's just like just just creepy and the fact that linda's like upstairs just like oh no yeah something, something bad's gonna happen and as we do learn something does bad happen there's another iconic shot though once he enters the room with he enters this room within this ghost like with a sheet of, yeah, yeah over him. sheet over him and with Bob's glasses. <laughs> Brilliant. And, See, Michael <laughs> even knows how to give a scare. Here's another like kind of goofy scene right here. It's like, why did he do this to put all this, you know, uh, he wasn't afraid to be like not stealthy in the daylights. Why did he have to do this stealthy thing just to get into the room? I mean, right. He could have just walked in and, uh, you know, did his, uh, what did he, you know, he comes here to do, but, uh, the fact he did this is a little weird, but I mean, okay, it's, you know, I guess you expect it in uh, in slashes nowadays to have these inserts, sure, of like just kind of weird, uh, funny moments. But uh, this one's again iconic, and you can't help but like give it slack because you know it's it's the first of its kind, right? But it, it's almost weird too that like how you mentioned. You know, they could have taken this another way. He could have just came into the room, just, you know, no sheet, no glasses or anything. Mm-hmm. Pretended, you know, not no need to pretend that he's Bob and just kill Linda. But he doesn't. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I don't know if this is like some insight into the, what the Michael Myers character is supposed to think or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have no clue. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's creepy. It's it's creepy. It, it, like, it creates, like, this creepy I, scene. I, like, yeah, goofy, I, but yeah, also yeah. creepy because he never responds and Linda gets kind of creeped out. Um, more Maybe, like, more frustrated than creeped out. But I think she does begin to kind of, like, think this is a little weird. It's a little strange. And then she ends up calling Lori. Mm. And, uh, you know, again, like, going back to the phone, uh, when Lori, Lori picks up and she hears Linda die. Yeah, she hears yeah. her getting strangled. She, she doesn't know it, but yeah, that's what happens. And that's like the irony of it. The fact that like she thinks it's some prank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is not a prank. And, but on Halloween, you know, you expect that sort of uh, things to happen. Right. And uh, like, again, she just, she doesn't see it as like a, something's weird going on or any threats happening. Yeah. But I guess she, she does get a little suspicious because when Michael picks up the phone, she just hears it just, you know, this breathing nothing noise and starts to wonder but like nothing really ever comes of it right before we move further into like what happens next we have to remember that we got to pick back up with uh, loomis oh yeah he's just at the myers house at this point right well you know previously he's already talking with sheriff he's already talked with sheriff brackett and told him essentially like who michael is and what he is and telling him that like he's a danger, he's an obvious threat, and basically tells him his whole like backstory and how he met him and everything. Do you think it was like necessary to even give some sort of uh, back somewhat? It's somewhat of a backstory to Michael with like Loomis having some sort of connection to him. He's the only one who really knows him past uh, sixty three and what happened in the beginning. Uh, do you think it was like a necessary uh, thing to have someone chase him? Instead of just, okay, let's just get rid of this doctor character and, you know, this guy escapes. Like, what does that do to the story? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I think of is that, uh, well, it it obviously gives us, you know, someone who can come to the rescue. 
because someone knows him better than what other people do. That's true. I think about like the ending, because if he hadn't come to the rescue, like who would have? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I think he really does push the he pushes the story further in order to get people like to warn people about the threat of Michael Myers and everything. And I think I almost we need I, he's also this balance of good and evil. Because where there's the where is where's the good, where's the evil, you know? Oh, okay. We have that balance that Michael's that evil, but uh Dr. Loomis is that good. Right. He kinda like he sort of builds him up as this like uh threat the, because right. nobody else really knows him. Exactly. But he's the only one who's actually scared of him. Right. And it adds to the fact that the audience should be scared along with Loomis because he's the only one who knows him uh past the sixty three moment in the beginning. And he know yeah, exactly. And he knows what he's capable of. And uh, you know, he ends up just trying to wait uh around Michael's house and see if he'll come back because he's been there once before, as we saw in the beginning of the film. He's there in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so he waits there. But then like we, you know, we skip forward and uh like he's still waiting there and Michael still hasn't returned. Right, because he's not over at the Myers house, he's over at the I guess we don't know whose house that is, right? Because Annie babysits right over there, Lindsay's right? house. If we had a say. oh yeah, that's true, Lindsay's house. Lindsay's that's, house, that's correct. Um, but yeah, and like you know, uh, Loomis is just kind of like he's he's getting a little bit uh, he's getting a little bit frustrated, um, a little bit uh, anxious about you know where's Michael? He's not sure. He hasn't shown up. And this is actually a really funny scene too. The fact that uh, we actually see Tommy's bullies again. Lonnie and his group of friends, mm-hmm. they actually come over to the Mike the Myers house and uh the the friends like force Lonnie to try to go in. And then uh Loomis has his moment where he like plays a prank. Like everyone kind of gets their prank in this film, I think. Uh and uh, uh Loomis kind of plays a little bit prank on Lonnie and like, you know, f- scares the the kids and basically tells him to get away. He's so happy with himself. He like, right. He's like, he smiles <laughs> like, oh man, I did, I did good here. This know? is probably the one and only time we see Loomis smile out of the I entire think, film. I think so, because the rest of it, you know, he's just scared and uh, he's on alert for Michael. Loomis this, is great. <laughs> yeah, at this point, he's like, I'm on top of the world, basically. Right. <laughs> and then what's funny is the fact that like, immediately after Sheriff Brackett pulls off a scare on Loomis and like grabs his shoulder and Loomis gets freaked out. Right. Oh man. Priceless. Like his, his reaction and everything. But essentially like, you know, he, he tells Brackett that, you know, Michael still hasn't shown and it continues to tell him that like, you know, uh, we like, we still need to find him and whatnot. And Brackett, Brackett agrees that, you know, yeah, he's a threat and you know, we'll, we'll help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then, you know, going back to Lori and, you know, what she's dealing with, she ends up at this point trying to go investigate because right. she's curious and yeah, suspicious. she's curious now, so she leaves Tommy and... Uh, uh, and Lindsay. Yeah, and Lindsay over at the uh, the house, and she goes to check it out. Sees nothing, you know, just darkness until eventually she goes upstairs and sees on the bed the tombstone of Judith Myers right. and Annie laying on the bed. Yeah. And then right there, then and there, she gets freaked out, goes back, and I believe it's, uh, who does she see next? Linda. Oh, yeah, Linda in the closet, right? Yeah. Yeah, Linda in the closet, and then uh, I thought somebody else falls down besides... Bob does. 
Oh, it's Bob? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. He moves Bob, and he goes down, like, right. swing, uh, swinging. Yeah. And uh, she's so freaked out at this point that uh, she tries to uh, run away, right? Just get into the other room. Right. And then from out of the shadows, the boom, shape the <laughs> shape appears. And uh, here's an iconic scene there, because you, all you see is his face appear from outside the... Uh, Oh, from inside, from the inside the shadows, correct? Right, and uh, she's just there, like, oh, you know what I do? Uh, very uh, saddened for her friends, and uh, again, it's this—it's just scary. That that's all you see. That's all you see in this. It's so effective. It's such an effective shot. Like everything from like the music leading up to this point, it's so creepy. Like it's just. Like not like the music, and then like when he comes out from the shadows, and we like we get this really nice or this really dim, uh, you know, lights up on his face, and he appears, and then he strikes her with his knife. It's uh so scary. Like he just like comes up out of no, comes out out of, out of nowhere, and she's obviously uh you know freaked out, and she falls down the stairs and hurts her leg. And then things really start picking up and Michael just goes after her. And this is, again, this is another thing that I really love about this film and this film only is that they really played up uh, effectively the way that Michael chases people. And it's not like what we see in like later slasher films and even in, uh, you know, later installments of Halloween movies uh, where Michael's like, almost like a, uh, you know, taking so much time to go after his, his, uh, you know, his prey. And he's like walking so slowly, almost like kind of like a robot. And like this, Michael, though, yeah, he just, he goes with a purpose, with a purpose. He moves with a purpose and he's just going. And like, this goes back to like the, uh, he's very fast. You know, he sprinted yeah. down that hedge. He's, he's making sure he gets us there, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, he go, he, you know, I really love that. The stair shot when he's going down the stairs is such a little thing, but like the way he just walks down the stairs is just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a predator after you mm-hmm. and like, you know, Lori's escaping the house and everything and things are really picking up. Um, and you know, she, She's going through like the, she tries going out the front door. That doesn't work. And then she goes through the kitchen. She locks the kitchen door and then she's trying to go out. But then there's that, uh, that garden hoe that's blocking her exit. That was also weird. Like, I feel like she could have overpowered that. Yeah, totally. That, that garden hoe. I was like, what the heck? What the heck? Yeah. It was just like kind of right there. And I'm just like, oh, come on. Seriously. Like I've all times. And then like, we get the famous scene, like where, uh, Michael is like right there at the door and he's like shaking the door handle and everything. And instead of using the door handle, he just, you know, yeah. rips through the door with his bare hands <laughs> and, uh, you know, just unlocks the door and everything. And there he is. And very, you know, this is the thing that laid the groundwork for the shining. Like, come on. Like, uh, what we see for in the shining, you know, several years later, uh, you know, the, the famous, uh, here's Johnny scene. It came from here. It came from here. And really, like him opening the door. You don't think that other people have done it before then? And they're like, okay, perhaps it was done before then. But it's clear that there was at least some inspiration. You think so? At least some little bits of inspiration of this breaking through the door and just and then your your murder is coming through. You know, 
So, you know, and then Michael ends up coming in. Of Luckily, Lori was able to escape by breaking through the glass, which is clearly some sort of like acrylic or like sugar glass because the, the, I love how like the glass looks so different from all the other ones mm-hmm. and she just breaks it. But anyway, uh, she, she ends up making her escape, but you know, her leg is, is um, she's injured and she, she, you know, we get the stereotypical, she falls over and like, oh my gosh. Yeah, all, all horror movies have to do this, you know, like. Uh, you know, trips. Oh, the door won't open, or something like that, right? And right for her, she trips, and the door doesn't open. And we just see this shot of Michael just ever coming closer. And here's where you get the famous Michael walk. Yeah. Oh my God. Again, never to be replicated by any other Michael Myers actor. Uh, Nick Castle, the original Michael Myers ask- actor, just had the perfect walk. And was the reason why he was casted as Michael Myers, because he had a menacing walk. And I kid you not, I know I said for the other moments of the film that, you know, I kind of want like that Michael Myers, like stalking me in the distance or whatever, but I do not want this Michael Myers. (laughs) I do not want this Michael Myers uh, walking up towards me because it is scary. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, yeah, I'm it's crazy that apparently, you know, he just, was told just walk man and you know he'll be fine you know i was like what what do you mean he's like shouldn't i just you know like do it this way do it that way like no 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 no, yeah. no. just your normal walk yeah, is fine just walk i love john carpenter's instructions just walk yeah <laughs> um yeah it, it's definitely one of the this is probably this is really hard because it's like this is my second favorite scene of the film it, it's almost like a really close tie with that other one i was talking about earlier um but this is a really close second or maybe just like a, the the perfect tie. And, uh, you know, we're just really wanting uh, Lori to get in back inside the the house. And, you know, she's trying, she's screaming at yeah, the top yeah. of her lungs for Tommy. Of course it takes forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like full tension here. And Michael's just coming after her. She luckily, Tommy luckily gets there right in time. He's going ever so slowly. I know. And yeah, she opens the door and eventually she gets inside, tries to uh, get the kids away. And for some reason, Michael enters, gets in the house. He enters the house through the window somehow, but somehow <laughs> we never see him. It's like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Somehow, you know, exactly. He's the shape and we just don't see it. He's yeah. in the shadows, just lurking. He ends up getting inside the house, takes another swing at Lori uh, you know, Lori's freaked out. She sticks a pin right in his neck and is just like, oh my gosh, the tension is at all time high. He rips the pin out and he falls to the ground and and uh, the boogeyman's on the floor. Yeah. We're assumed he's dead for the time being. Presumably, yes. And uh, Lori goes back upstairs, tries to get the kids out and they're like, oh, what happened? You know, is he dead or whatnot? And she's like, yeah, I killed him or whatnot. And then I was like, well, then who's that right there? And yeah, he's right. like, he's back. Yeah, you can't kill the boogeyman. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then, yeah, we're really moving into the all-time high. Uh, you know, she's, you know, tells the kids to lock themselves inside the closet and everything. And she does that. She does the same. She actually attempts to make it seem like she went outside and jump, jumped, I, I guess. Yeah, I assume, yeah. And, you know, Michael Myers is way smarter than that. And clearly doesn't fall for it. Goes to the closet. Yet again, so many iconic scenes in this film. 
uh, goes over to the closet. And I love this shot where we see like his shadow like cast over the the light of this uh, closet. Mm-hmm. Oh man, so creepy. And she ends up like tying like uh, some sort of like ribbon or uh, like hair tie around the mm-hmm. the closet. And then he just like you know uh, tries opening the closet, but he can't. And it's just like creepy because he just tries yeah, at it so again. forcefully and everything like that. And uh, uh, yeah, like the tension is so like so uh, building. He can't get it to open. So you know what does he do? He just he just breaks through the yeah. door. Does what he always does. If it doesn't open, you break it. Yeah, exactly. Just break it through the door and everything. And like Lori's freaking out, trying to hide behind, like trying to hide inside of the closet. And uh, Michael just breaking through, breaking through, and even like goes as far as a turn of the light. And uh, this is like the another moment where we do get a chance to see his face again, like the very few moments. And uh, like we see his face like in pure like light here when he turns out the light and everything. Mm-hmm. And she quickly, with her instincts, grabs like one of those uh, wire hangers. Thank God those wire hangers still exist back in the late <laughs> right. 70s. Because today it's just these plastic things. Right, and- she would have been done for. She ends up uh, like taking and stabbing his eye and uh, Michael um, drops the his knife and she takes uh, her first uh, or her second stab at him right like around his like yeah, the, some pretty uh, good shots his right chest. Here. And she takes a stab at him and he gets stabbed and he falls and again, we're back to that, like, back to that calm. He's dead, baby. He's dead, maybe. Yeah, he's dead, maybe. And she gets out of the closet and everything, goes to the kids, drops the knife. Why would you drop the knife? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't like, know. protection, come on. Here's a classic case of characters doing the wrong thing at the wrong time when there's a killer around. Exactly. And, you know, she, she, warns, she tells the kids, like, you know, go outside and gives them warning, basically, go get help. Which they do, and then finally we meet up with Loomis again, because uh, c- he notices the kids obviously screaming as they e- exit the house, and you know he's curious. And as as uh, the you know the kids left and everything, Laura's just sitting there. And why? Like why I did know. she stay there? Why go did she with stay them? there? Go with them exactly. I, I completely I agree. I don't know why. It's like uh, another again another case of like. Let's just not make any sense. Like, yeah, no, let's just not make any logical decisions. I guess she wanted to be there for like, okay, the police come, but like, don't be near the body or anything like that. Like, at least go to the front door or something. Move away. Right. And and she doesn't. And in the background, another really great scene. Michael it just sits up and, and turns his head over to Lori and he's still alive. And it's yeah. just like, oh my God. He's still alive. This guy just won't die. Yeah, exactly. And I don't like it's like, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's still okay. alive. Okay. Uh, and you know, uh, he, you know, he gets up, she gets up, and it looks like she's about to go to the front door finally. Oh my god. Uh, you know, she's walking like ever so slowly, but Michael's right up behind her. And she's trying to get out, like she's just, you know, ever so slowly walking, but then Michael gets up right behind her, starts strangling her. And then luckily Loomis comes for the rescue and uh, the the mask of Michael gets ripped off and he sees him clearly, takes aim and shoots once right there. And then eventually uh, Michael, you know, goes back into the room and uh, Loomis goes after him, shoots a couple more times. And eventually Michael Myers falls off the balcony and is presumed dead again. Yeah. 
Uh, shot him six times. Loomis shot him a total of six times. Oh, six times. Any man would have died, but Michael Myers is not any man. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, and then Loomis and Laurie have their little bit of exchange, and now Laurie's finally referring to him as, you know, like, was it the boogeyman? And Loomis actually kind of, like, agrees with her and says, you know, as a matter of fact, it was. And he goes over to look at uh, Michael, uh, Michael's body, and what, uh, like, what do you know? He's not there. Nope. And we're left in the, the uh, breathing of Michael and his mask, and he lives on. Like, what, what did you think about that whole end like sequence? Uh, um, I think it's fine. I think we can like. I think I guess like overall, if we want to just do like an overall encompass a compass of the film, I liked I liked how it was uh, like simple to start out, and everything was like less is more. But I think by the time it was the end, I think it goes back to my classic case where I'm not very fond of overpowered villains there's like literally no way to get rid of them i understand (laughs) that this is a thing for this genre you know like they'll come back 50 million times until they go into like space yeah (laughs) or whatnot and uh i don't know it's just it's just it's just it's just not for me i guess um i don't know it's it's not really it's not very fun i guess but I, i i understand for the genre it's a thing that you just had to bear with. Yeah, for sure. Like, I like how this end goes with, uh, you know, with his breathing and whatnot. That's a pretty good end. Just like, Oh man, he's still around and he's still ticking or whatnot. That's a confirmation that he's still out there. But I think that the fact that, this guy took you said six shots. Yeah. Come on. What is he wearing? A bulletproof vest or something? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, I, I agree that, um, yeah, like it's one of those things in slasher films that you're obviously going to have your overpowered villain and, you know, you're going to have your 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 dumb teenagers not, right, right, you yeah. know, not being able to defend for themselves. I, I will say, though, that I, I feel like for this film anyway, it's one of those those films that like you have to like, you know, respect for what it did. And it's like I think it's probably the one and only like slasher film. Uh, that you can actually appreciate the things that it did and the fact that it was supposed to be a one-off mm-hmm. and like the fact that they just kind of left they left the story just hanging in this way and um it wasn't too over the top it was very simple it was very grounded right and I think that's something that we can both respect out of this film that the fact that this is the one slasher film that isn't too over the top whereas uh, other films that were essentially copies of Halloween just really took it over the top when we when we were introduced to more of these types of films. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's just Halloween is definitely one of those that I respect that they kept it grounded. Um, and but yeah, they introduced so many iconic. Uh, scenes and stereotypes that we see in all of the other slashers. Right. Nothing, I don't think, could ever uh, beat the first one. Oh no! Right here, I think I think it was the perfect one for the slashers genre. But uh, ever every other version, like you said, copy 
just didn't do as well as right. the first one. Yeah, and even like even Halloween's sequel didn't even do as well. Yeah, you know? it doesn't. Yeah, none of them can ever live up to the first one. Right. Yeah, uh, I think it goes without saying that I recommend this film. <laughs> yeah. I think it goes without saying I will always recommend this film uh, to anyone. Yeah, simply because it's just a it's just a grounded slasher film. It's just your classic slasher. Yeah, if, the, if you're gonna watch one, it's gonna be Halloween one from nineteen seventy eight. Right. Yeah. This like there there's there's all there's not that much to. You know, there's not that much to like really like fix. I mean, there's not that much to say. It's uh, one of those. Yeah, I say I, I don't. I don't think there's uh, really much of anything to really fix besides like oh, you know, I think it's very okay. The budget they couldn't do some like either like effects. They couldn't get these locations. They couldn't get these. Uh, that you might see a little bit like mess ups in like the corners and stuff like that. But right. uh, just looking at what. It was with the amount they had. They did. They basically did everything they could with what they had, and it was a great film. Yeah, and they ended up creating a film that, uh, you know, would inspire generations of horror slasher films for you know all of time. Mm -hmm. And that that is John Carpenter's 1978 Halloween. Thank you for listening to this episode, and. This is this is out of all of the films you've got to watch this one. You you like you can't miss this. And if you've never seen it, out of any of the 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 twelve thirteen Halloween <laughs> films there are now, you've got to watch this one, please. This is the one you've got to see. And with that, ends our horror themed month of October with John Carpenter's nineteen seventy eight slasher film Halloween. Thank you for listening to this episode, and like always, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode of The End Credits. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The End Credits Podcast, and over on Twitter at The End Credits. If you're watching the video version, make sure to subscribe to The End Credits YouTube channel. That's it. Thank you, and goodbye.